Welcome to the Scottish Business Network podcast. Hi, I'm Fraser Allen from White Light Media and after a brief break for half term, this is episode 11 and it's a slightly different one. Have you ever had to stage a presentation, pitch to a potential client or investor or speak at a conference? And have you ever thought, oh my God, how am I going to do this? We've all been there. Well, today's guest can help. Growing up in Melbourne, Australia, Mel Sherwood only wanted to do one thing when she left school, and that was to be a performer. But while she moved into acting quite comfortably and had a great voice, she suffered terrible stage fright as a singer. While backpacking around the world, Mel visited Edinburgh and loved it so much she never went home. And now she uses her performance skills to coach people who are doing talks, pitches and presentations. And her experiences of fearing the stage as a singer means she is full of empathy. I met Mel at her home in Edinburgh and after talking about her journey from Australia to Scotland, she gave us an excellent mini masterclass on public speaking. This podcast was created by White Light Media. Find out more about how we can help your business at whitelightmedia.co.uk. So Mel Sherwood, hello. Hello. And it's a very cold day in Edinburgh today. But of course, you you originally started life on the other side of the world. So I wondered if you could start by telling us a bit about um, how life began for you, your your, your family over there, and what the world looked like to a young Mel Sherwood. (laughs) So I grew up in Melbourne, in the outer suburbs of Melbourne, and had, I suppose, what I would consider a normal childhood. (laughs) Uh, It was a a fairly new estate, so there's lots of young families there, and uh, spent spent time playing in the street and doing pool hopping parties. So you go from (laughs) one to one person's backyard pool, and then you go to the next one. My dad worked in the bank, and my mum was sort of a stay-at-home mum in the early days and then started a uh, business working from home. Oh, right. Uh, and then she's kind of moved on and done lots of different things in terms yeah. of uh, various sort of sales roles. Um, so w- when you were sort of uh, kind of leaving school kind of time, what sort of things do you think you, you did you want to do with your career? I wanted to be a performer. That, that was right. kind of fairly okay. m- mid... So early high school years, I decided that's what I wanted to do. And, of course, everyone was discouraging me. And, uh, well, you know, at any one time, there's 97% of actors are out of work. Ooh, you know, you should get something behind you. What did your parents hope you you might do? My parents wanted my brother and I to be happy. So they were totally supportive of whatever we wanted to do. Mm. They they were both kind of pushed into roles that they, Mm. they didn't particularly enjoy. And so they were really keen for us to you know do do whatever made us happy and very supportive of of that but also you know you make you make your own way you make your decisions so if you choose to 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 go down that path right you know, we're yeah. not going to bail you out or whatever i mean i'm sure they would have if i if i needed mm. to but they i was sort of quite in, i suppose independent from an, an early age so i had got into university to do drama teaching, which mm. everybody said you should do, you should you should you should do that, then you'll have something behind you. But at no stage in my life did I want to teach. I find it interesting that I'm now I now train people, yeah, <laughs> but at that time I had mm. no desire to teach. And so I thought, well, what, what's the point of going through four years of university to do something I didn't really want to do? And this new this new course that was starting was so exciting, and it covered 
so many aspects of performing arts. I did um, stage management and lighting design and set design and makeup mm-hmm. and costume and uh, and it really fulfilled my need. And I've recognised since I've got older that I've always had this desperate need for variety. Right. So being able to do all of those things and and that that was really. I was, I was probably, yeah, I was pretty happy at that time. That was really right. fulfilling for yeah. me, yeah. Uh, and then I, I left, uh, yeah, and so I started working in a retail, a big company in Australia, um, and I thought that I would be there for six months, and I ended up there nearly 15 years on and Really? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. doing all sorts of different roles, which mm. was great, but found that they were incredibly... Every manager that I had there was really supportive of my performing career. Mm -hmm. So if I needed to work part-time while I was doing something else, they were great. If I needed to take time off for auditions or take a chunk of my holidays at certain times to do different roles, then they were really, um, really supportive, which was a good thing. Yeah, yeah. That I could keep some money. So so what was happening with that performing career? Um, (laughs) Interestingly, I was thinking the other day, when I was at that course... I remember having a guest tutor in and he said, you need the three T's. And, right. I thought, and, and so the three T's were training, talent and tenacity. Right. So I had had some training and looking back, I mean, even now, I don't know did I, if I had any talent, who knows? But what I didn't have with was the tenacity. So I have an issue with singing, right? <laughs> Which uh, I feel the same way or have felt the same way about singing for most of my life as, as other people feel about public speaking. So petrified oh right and so even though I during my teens and early 20s I I had years and years and years of singing lessons because I figured it would make me more versatile as an actor if I could Mm. sing Uh, but I didn't sing in public until I was 25 and I didn't practice so I didn't get any better and the reason I didn't practice is because I didn't want the neighbours to hear me (laughs) and it sort of all stemmed from something someone said to me when I was about eight right uh, when I was wandering around the house pretending to be an opera singer, right. and uh, they said they put their hands to their ears and they said, "Ah, oh, you're hurting my ears!" and they laughed at me right. and said, yeah. <laughs> "You'll never be a singer." And it's funny how something can stick with oh, you. Totally, and it's interesting when I tell that story in my talks and and uh, various places. So many people come up to me afterwards mm. and say, "Yeah, I had an experience yeah, like that." Yeah. And the first time I did it, a woman came up and she said, oh, "I used to love art." And I, when I got, got married, my husband said something very early in my marriage that uh, made her sort of think. He said, oh, uh, you're not very good at that, are you? Right, and she said, right. I've been married for 30 years and I've never done right. art since. And I thought, how sad <laughs> is sure. that? Uh, so that's been a real, a real challenge throughout my life is to, you know, feel comfortable and confident right. about singing. And so does that help you empathise with people who've got a feel of public speaking? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I've literally, I've I've come off stage shaking and crying and right. walked out of the theatre and not come back. Really? I've held myself back from opportunities so many times. I, you know, wouldn't even go to audition. Uh, you know, people worry about, you know, the actual audition, but I wouldn't even get to the theatre, you know, or, mm. or wherever the auditions were being held. But you didn't have that with, with public speaking or acting? I didn't have it with acting, and interestingly, I didn't do a lot of public speaking earlier, early on. It was all acting, and it's a very different thing. Although you use some of the same skills, the first time I started doing proper public speaking, standing mm. up and speaking as myself, yeah. that was uh, an interesting experience. And I had to—I remember the first speech I did. I actually joined Toastmasters, 
and my first speech, someone came up to me, well, there was lots of people who, who said, oh, that was amazing, but I recognised, looking back on it, it was a performance. It was right. Mel had written a script and rehearsed a script okay. and delivered a yeah, script yeah. very well, but it, there were, it was missing that that connection. Mm. I, I'm forever trying to, to help my, my clients right. uh, feel as well by just kind of being fully present. So, so when did you move into the sort of the, the training people? Was that in Australia or was that when no, you moved over here? No, that was right, over right. here, yeah. So what, what brought you over to Scotland? Uh, adventure to start right. with. And so I, at age 35, I left, left my job, packed my bags and right. went travelling. So I literally arrived in Edinburgh at 1am <laughs> with a backpack and a couple more bags as you gather stuff as, <clears> you, <throat> as you hang out. And I got dropped off outside Waverley Station and I started my life in Edinburgh. Well... So there you are. You've been here ever since. I've been here ever since. Yeah. I was thinking I would only be here for a short time. I, I literally, the, the plan as part of my travels was to work, I have a bank, grandfather who was born in the UK. Right. Who died when I was nine months old, so I didn't know him. Hmm. But as a result of that, I was able to have an ancestry visa, which enabled okay. me to work here. Yeah. And my plan was really only to work in the UK for six months, save some money and travel back via Africa. Right. And so I thought I'd be away all up, maybe nine months a year mm, you know. mm-hmm. uh, and so, <laughs> so how long have you been here? Uh, 13 years <laughs> so yeah so, so what did you do for, I mean what, what was your first sort of job here? a few weeks I did have a job at the Fringe so I worked in their program production team for a while and then when the program was launched and I didn't have a role there I moved into advertising and sponsorships I worked in the marketing right. team for a while uh, and then that finished after, I don't know, seven, eight months or something. And then I was through another temp agency, I think it was. I started doing some temp work in the HR department for the Church of Scotland. Right. Couldn't get two more extreme <laughs> organisations, to be fair. And then they asked me to stay on permanently. And that's, it was during my time there that I fell into learning and development. I'd right. never done right. any, any right. L&D. And really loved it because it combined everything that mm. I had done in my past and I found that all my experience in my different roles really helped me to bring the training to life and to, and I, you know, it's, it's um, I yeah, thought I would be there temporarily. I was there for six years. Really? And I, right. During that time I did a CIPD certificate in learning and development practice, right. which was brilliant, completely changed mm. my approach to training, which was great. Uh, and then, yeah. That, were, you, were you still performing when, when you hear? I, I was. I was doing amateur uh, Amdram stuff. So I did musicals. I, I was Spider Woman in Kiss of the Spider Woman. I did uh, the Best Little Whorehouse in Texas. I did uh, Copacabana. You know, a whole bunch of. Mm. Uh, so I got quite involved in the the amateur musical scene here. So what led you to leave the Church of Scotland and then become a sort of independent trainer coach? <laughs> I had uh, boredom to start with. I was I, right. I get bored very quickly. Right. So I was yeah. even though I, I, I stayed at that company in Australia for nearly fifteen years, mm. I changed roles probably every eighteen months or so. Right. I, right. I I love to learn, mm. and so when I realised that I'd you know sort of done a couple of years of of, of delivering uh, a learning and development program, and there wasn't much. Mm-hmm. change I thought I need something new so and I'd always wanted my own business I just didn't know what it was and at the time my ex-partner and I came up with an idea for an online platform for the performing arts industry right. so I thought oh that combines everything yeah. 
And I thought, we thought, oh, wow, this is, this is really cool. And so he said, look, I'll support you while you, you know, if you leave, leave your job and go and set it up and then ultimately mm. it would be great if we could work in, in the business together. Mm-hmm. And so I pitched the idea to a startup accelerator and uh, I was told right off the bat, we think your idea is a bit rubbish, but we, but we like you and we think that, you know, there's, <laughs> there's, there's something, you know, we want to give you an opportunity to explore this. So I very quickly realized that everybody thought this idea was a brilliant idea, but no one was prepared to pay for it, right, which in sure, fact yeah, made yeah. it a bit rubbish. <laughs> but at the same time, I, what I've realized is that I was really good at pitching the idea. Right. And so I eventually had lots of people coming to me and seeing me winning all these pitching competitions and that sort of thing saying, hmm. can you help me with my pitch? And I think it was obviously all my background combined, but also as part of when I was at the Church of Scotland, I had to deliver a presentation skills course and I had never done that. I would never delivered any course. So I, yeah. I thought, right, better go. I needed to design, design mm-hmm. this course. So I went to Toastmasters and, and thought that's a good starting place yeah, to find yeah, out yeah. how to do this public speaking thing. And as part of that, I, I happened upon a speech that connected with a lot of people and it actually talked about my singing experience to be um, out of interest. But he uh, then I... I put it in, it was entered into competition. So then I was winning, I won lots of public speaking competitions right. and I represented Scotland and Northern England over in Ireland for oh, the right, speak right. international competition. And it, it was that that sort of uh, really built my ability to, to speak in public mm, and, and mm. really uh, hone, hone my skills. So that combined with my performing background and my business background mm, really helped mm. to be able to to pitch. And then I've discovered that I'm actually really good at extracting the key information. Right, a lot of people right. come to me and they're just they're overwhelmed by mm. they've got they're too close to it. Mm. I find it difficult for myself to mm. be fair, but for other people I can really see that. Mm. And I've realised that you know I work with people who are. Uh, re- preparing TEDx talks and that sort of thing. Right. It's the same thing. They've got 15 minutes to mm, deliver one mm. message and getting that message clear is the absolute key to, to making it an impactful and powerful message. So I, what I've realised and when I look back over all the roles that I've done, it's what I'm, what I'm good at. I see right. what needs to be incorporated mm. and make sure that just the right things are incorporated that's gonna, that are going to make it stand out and, and highlight the right elements. Do you have any tips you can give people in terms of how they structure their presentation? Yeah, if you're looking at a presentation, there's probably the, the most essential thing is that you need a really good hook to, yes. to, to open it. What happens is you find a lot of presentations will start with, hi, I'm such and such, sure, and yeah. I'm going to talk about blah, and this is all about me, mm. and me, 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 and this is my past, and this is me, and blah, blah, blah. People are like, we don't care, just get to the point. So make sure you have some kind of good, good hook Make sure you give the, the audience a good enough reason why they should listen to you. Hmm. So I always like to start with that. And it's, it's based actually on a, um, on a structure that was developed by a woman called Dr. Benice McCarthy. And she worked in education and realised that different students learn in different ways and you've got to yeah, kind of feed yeah. them the information in different, a different, in different ways. So... So I kind of base base a lot of the things that I do around that, and it's probably a really good structure for I don't know ninety percent of presentations. 
as I said, there's lots and lots of different structures I could talk about, but this particular one makes things quite quite simple and easy. So good hook. Yeah. Give the audience a good enough reason why they should listen, why it's important, why it's important right now, why sure, you're yeah. the person talking about it. Mm-hmm. Then move into the what, the, the nitty gritty yeah. part of it. Then move into the how. Mm-hmm. So when you've talked about the what, you move into the how, and that's more you can introduce case studies and stories and examples and that sort of thing. And then finally, what if, so you help people reflect and say, right. what if you were to implement this strategy mm-hmm. or what if you did it this way and what if you didn't? Uh, and then, and that's a really good time to, to incorporate questions Yeah. and then have a, a punchy conclusion that kind of summarizes everything. And ideally, if you connect that with the opening hook, it, sure, it's yeah, more impactful. It yeah, really yeah, more memorable. Mm. So that's a basic structure that mm. I found really useful and most people that I share it with, uh, you know, use it for <laughs> presentations forevermore. And obviously, I mean, people often say public speaking is a hugely stressful thing for lots of people, which you would empathise with, yes. with your singing experiences. <laughs> yeah. So if somebody, but in business, blimey, I mean, there's so many times when you might have to present, whether it's to pitch for new business or to an investor or, or, kind of, or just mm. speaking at a conference. So any tips to people on how they can manage those nerves? Yeah, I think I have a simple equation. More preparation equals fewer nerves. Right. That's, it's as simple as that. And when, we, when I talk about preparation, I don't just mean content. Yeah. I Because my background as a performer, it, for me, it's really important anytime I'm in, in a high-stakes situation or I, I'm in front of an audience, I do a... a proper preparation of my body and my voice yes. and, and it's about preparing the mind as well so and also the environment and I, I was saying I run a couple of workshops this week in different organizations and uh, one at the business school at Edinburgh Uni actually but the just understanding and getting an idea about the environment that you'll be speaking in is so right. crucial mm-hmm. because we fear the unknown mm. we worry about mm-hmm. the unknown so the more you can find out about who you're talking to, and that's key for yes. any uh, effective presentation anyway. But who you're talking to, how many people will be there, mm-hmm. what kind of setup it will be, where you'll be standing, is it a big formal event or is it a, a more casual thing? Will you be standing or will you be sitting around a table? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, where, are you, where are you going to put your equipment or what equipment will be available? Are you using a clicker? Is it your equipment? Do you have to use someone else's equipment? Where do you put your glass of water? Yeah. All of those sorts of things are really crucial to help you start to, and then I, I, once you know these things, you can start to prepare and yeah. then uh, practice in that kind of with that in mind, but also start to visualize your success in that environment okay. yeah. rather than uh, just turning up. So, and, so would you actually try and recreate that environment to rehearse it, if you like? I've, I, yeah, I tend to if I can, yeah. uh, or I visualize, uh, visualize myself as I'm doing it and yeah. So that, uh, and in terms of you say, you say it's important to know who you're speaking to obviously mm-hmm. I mean how far would you go with that is it quite would you get online and try and find out as much Absolutely. as you can and yeah. what triggers might influence them yeah because you can't craft a presentation that is relevant and interesting to people if they you don't know who they are yeah so there's general basic stuff like demographics and that sort of thing but but I I get I've got two page uh, document with questions that yeah. I share with my yeah. um anyone who's in my in my workshops and and, and coaching is at, just to stimulate some thoughts because it's like well why are they there do they know why they're there are mm-hmm. they there voluntarily or is it mandatory for them to yeah. be there 
Uh, what are they expecting to hear? Is that what you're going to, to mm, be delivering? Mm. Uh, how will they react, do you think? Um, who's the decision makers? Particularly important if you're, you're yes. pitching uh, uh, or, or presenting you know, new, new ideas or, or products or services. So knowing who's the decision makers in the room, who are the influencers, mm -hmm. getting to understand what, you know, what some of their interests are. I mean, if you're walking into you know, a, a, a group of people who love golf and you are a golf lover, then those sorts of things yeah, yeah. even can just be helpful for building rapport. Yes. Yeah. So the more you know about your audience, the, the more effective you can, right. you can be. So right. that's, that's yeah. absolutely part of preparation. Uh, what are some of the most common blunders that people make in these scenarios? Talking about themselves, right? Yeah, without mm -hmm. giving anyone a good enough reason to listen to them, I think. Uh, and then, oh, I, I just realised you had asked me about managing nerves, so oh, <laughs> I'll, yes. I'll come back good to that because yeah. uh, that was preparation's yeah. one thing. But yeah, so blunders, not yeah, not preparing enough, not understanding mm. who they're who they're talking to, becoming. And when I talk about them being all about themselves, and. and <laughs> I know it's shocking for a lot of people to know, but presenting and pitching is never about you. Right, <laughs> and right. so I was telling a group of students at the university the other day, and they're like, oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> but because what happens is the more that you focus on you, the less connected you are to your audience. Yes. And so you've got to be able to, to get out of yourself. And if you're focused on delivering a message to someone, this helps with nerves as well, there's there's no no opportunity for all of those little voices in your head because if yeah. you're fully yeah. present in the moment yeah. delivering that message, it's only when we start to become aware of and worried about what people think because mm. that's mm. the biggest challenge for people. We all fear being judged or making a fool of ourselves. That's yeah. pretty much the, the underlying fear for, for most people, uh, worrying about things that will go wrong or whatever. But at the end of it, it really is always about not not wanting to, to make a fool of yourself or, yes. or uh, you know, fear of being judged, not liked. Everybody wants to be liked, yeah, don't yeah, they? Yeah, you know? yeah. So that's one of the biggest challenges for people. I suppose the worst thing you do is bore people, isn't it? It doesn't really well, yeah. matter if you come across as a bit, <laughs> yeah. bit nervous. Actually, or, that just, that yeah. just reminded me of a, a, a phrase. So we hear about presentation structures, which is, is a bit old-fashioned now, but um, we you know, tell them what you're going to tell them tell them yeah. and then tell them what you're going to uh, tell them what you told them so right. that's kind of a, a thing that's been around for years and years and years about present uh, presentations tell them what you're going to tell them tell them and then tell them mm. how, uh, what you've told them but what i heard someone say once that uh, you, what you've got to not do is tell them how you're going to bore them then bore them <laughs> then tell them how you bore them and so many presentations yeah, are exactly yeah. like that totally, yeah. so yeah. yes not in terms of engaging with your audience, when I was very early in my career, I had to do a, a speech at a big event. I was really worried about it. And so they got this guy in to give me some tips. And he said, just look at the, the wall at the back. Don't look at people. And then that will take your mind off it. Now, that strikes me as awful advice. Should you be engaging with your audience Absolutely. and looking at them and, and even yeah. picking up if, if they're you know, asking the questions, if you can see a, a response in, in, the, in their expressions? You are absolutely spot on. And I... I, I I hate when I hear that people have been given that advice because, yes, you need to look to the back of the room to connect with people, people mm. back there, not the back wall. <laughs> um, but one of the things that people get overwhelmed with is, oh, you know, it's an audience. Mm. But an audience is really just a group of individuals. Yes. And so 
if you can reframe public speaking as a series of one-to-one conversations, which is what it is, mm. because if you, so if you're in my audience right now and I, I'm speaking and I connect with you and you're nodding your head and there's yes. an exchange, yeah, yeah. there's an interaction, mm. then I turn to the person at the other side of the room and I might connect with them and then someone at the back. And so if we, if we actually connect with people, they're going to get the message more mm. effectively. Mm. But if I stand up there like a robot and speak to the back yes. wall, no, you know, yeah. It's, it's quite nice when you're in an audience and the person on the stage looks at you, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And do you know what's interesting? Mm. If you've ever been to a, a rock concert, for example, mm. you're standing wherever you might be in this massive venue, you would swear that the lead singer is singing directly to you. <laughs> have, have you experienced that? Yeah. <laughs> so what happens then? Obviously, the, the singer can't see you. They've, they've got lights in their yeah, eyes and whatever. Yeah. Um, but they are... They're visualising you and they're you know, thinking yes. about connecting with that audience. Uh, and so in, it's the same with public speaking. And when you've got a big audience and maybe you can't see people at the back, but if you direct your, your conversation to that mm. area in the room, you'll connect with one person. And the magic of public speaking is that once you've, you've interacted with one person, yeah. there's this little ripple of energy around all the people yes. around that person. Yeah. And everybody feels included. So mm. it's really important to kind of make sure that you include every area mm. in the room. Mm. And some people have, a, have a, almost a routine about it where they will you know, look to their right and then they'll uh, look diagonally left at the back and they'll actually right. have this right. little sort of a figure eight where they keep, keep yeah. looking at different parts of the audience. So that can be useful to, to make sure that you're including everybody. Sure, yeah. One thing that um, stand-up comedians all, nearly always do, they come on the stage and they'll say, "How are, you know, how are you today?" And, and they'll pick on and they'll start a conversation. Mm-hmm. Is that a good technique in, in business to try and strike up a bit of a rapport with people rather than keeping it so kind of one, you know, I'm going to talk to you? Sort of. Yeah, I think, and I think presentations now are less and less formal, yeah. and there is more of that conversational style. Yeah, and you, it depends on your audience, and you've got to know who know who it is. Uh, I think there's, when you go to a comedy show, there's an expectation right. that those people yeah. at the front will, will be mm. picked on or, or incorporated in the show in some way. Not all audiences are comfortable with that, so you need sure. to know, know your audience. But then people who sit at the front are generally up for yeah. you know, being in, involved a bit more. I think, it, I, I think, yeah, if you know the audience, it's great. If you, I think getting to know the audience beforehand. So... What I found really interesting when I first started doing public speaking is as a performer, there's this illusion that you're creating. So you don't see the audience beforehand. Right. Uh, you're backstage, you're getting into your costume and your character and then curtains open uh, or the lights come up or whatever and you're on stage and there's this fourth wall where you know, you're on stage and the audience is looking in at the action. Yes. And very rarely, depending, well, there's obviously techniques where you speak directly to the audience, but if you're just observing a play or a, a show of some sort, there's this fourth wall. Then in musical theatre, it's a bit more, when you're singing, you quite often are singing out to the audience, so there's a bit right. more connection right. there. Um, but what happens in public speaking is very different. So I would never never have been in the audience or talking with the audience in my character, in my costume when I was performing. But in public speaking, the more you can get to know your audience and connect with them beforehand, yes. the better. Yeah, yeah. So if you're speaking at a conference, for example, you want to be at the conference. You don't want to just right, turn right, up on yeah, your yeah, slot. Yeah, yeah. 
be there all day, talk mm. to people during the coffee breaks, get to know people, mm. and then you can weave that into yes. the conversation uh, or the presentation so that when you're when you're on the stage or in, in front of that audience, you can say, oh, I was talking to, to Bob earlier. Yeah. He was talking about this challenge. Does anyone else have that challenge? Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, we all have this. Hands yeah. up. So that, that helps you connect with people. And so I'd always encourage people to... to Make sure you get to know get to know sure, the yeah, audience yeah, and just have yeah. a chat with them beforehand, yeah. and then it's easier to build that rapport yes. when you're actually in front yeah, of them. Yeah. We we touched on the nerves thing mm. earlier on, so you know you've done your preparation, preparation. and everything, but you're still you're sitting there waiting to go on stage. Yeah. Butterflies. Yeah. Any tips to con control that? Yes. <laughs> Deep breathing is probably the right. best tip I yeah. could offer for for nervousness. And it, it literally is, it's about diaphragmatic breathing, so breathing right. more deeply. And just literally three deep, slow breaths can help. So breathing in, sort of maybe for four or six counts, holding it for four or six counts, yeah. and then breathing out slowly. And what that does is tend to, tends to calm everything down and make you feel more grounded and centred. Right. And it's one of the best best tips, I would say, for, for yeah. managing nerves. Yeah. Uh, the other thing is to, to kind of you know change what's going on in the head, and that's because while we're nervous, we're we're thinking about all the things that might go wrong or whatever. Yes. Yeah. Um, another thing to do is to reframe nerves as excitement, because yes. when you think yeah. about it, the feelings of excitement and the feelings of nervousness, those butterflies, mm. and that, yeah. they're the same thing. Yeah. So yeah. if you can think of it as excitement. It actually, I embrace nerves. You know, yes, there's crippling nerves, and I have had crippling yeah. nerves yeah. myself. But actually, if you uh, em em embrace them and say, yeah, this is great, because if I'm not nervous, I, I sometimes get a bit worried that it might come across a bit flat. There's right, less right. energy, you know, so yeah. it's about channeling that adrenaline and making, it just makes you really sharp. Yes. So Getting the butterflies to fly in the right direction. Totally, yeah. yeah. And there's a, have you heard that phrase? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, um, everybody gets butterflies, mm. the professionals get them to fly in yeah. formation. Yes. <laughs> and so, and I love that visual. If you think about all these crazy butterflies, and then this this nice formation. Yes. <laughs> it, it just there's something about that. It's like, oh yeah, I'm getting them. Mm. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, we've talked a lot, a lot about nerves now. But is that on the flip side, if somebody's doing a lot of presentations, there is that danger of getting a bit jaded. Yes. Any tips for keeping on your toes and fresh? Caring. Yes. <laughs> you know, it really is about every audience that you're in front of. You know that's and that that's the first time usually that they're going to hear that. Even if you if you do a presentation and you've got to give it lots and lots of times, yeah. And it's the same. This is where what I, I take from my acting background is that you know you might be doing a show, show after show after show after show, uh, and probably my most intense experience of that. I did uh, three weeks. I wrote and, and performed and produced a one woman play right, at the yeah. Fringe Festival yeah. in two thousand and eight, right. and. Yeah, 21 shows in 23 days. Right. Now, every time I was in front of an audience, that audience had never seen it before. They yes. all deserved my best. Mm. They all deserved it. So I had to make sure that I, I kept making sure that I you know, reset each day and prepared exactly the same way as I had every sure, other yeah. day yeah, yeah, yeah. to make sure that I was at my best. One of my big things is, is that you should never, ever, ever warm up on your audience's time. Right. And so part of my warm-up uh, preparation is to prepare my, my body and my voice and do a vocal warm-up because if I start my presentation and I'm all a bit croaky, and <clears throat> then 
then I don't, well, it reflects badly on me, I think, because it makes me sound a bit uncertain or, right, and, right. and just not prepared. So my, my preference is to make sure that that's, you know, super warmed up. But yeah, if, if you're doing something over and over again, you owe it to your audience to find, mm, find mm, the freshness mm. in it. And that can be, you know, incorporating different stories each time that you do it or, uh, yeah, just mi- mixing it up a bit, finding different examples for that particular audience. And I think you should always tailor uh, your presentation or your pitch for, diff- you know, the, the actual audience that's in front of you. Sure, yeah, this is yeah. one of the challenges I see with people pitching to. They just turn up and do the same pitch, mm, roll mm. it out, and it, 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 they haven't thought through how they're going to connect with that particular audience. Yes, of course, yeah, so, yeah. yeah, it really is about putting yeah. effort in. If you want to, you know, stand out and be remembered... Uh, then yeah, that's crucial. Mm. And in terms of warming up, I mean, you're you're a singer, so you have certain things you do. But yeah. for somebody who's not used to that, what, mm-hmm. what's a good way of simple way of warming up your voice before you? Yeah, so speak? I mean, the first thing is about getting rid of any tension. Mm-hmm. Tension's the enemy of our voice. So we, what happens? We tend to carry a lot of tension around our shoulders and our neck, and we don't realise it. Right. So simple things like rolling your shoulders backwards right. and forwards, yeah. shaking out any tension, a bit of a few stretches, you know, turning your head from side to side and just mm-hmm. kind of loosening all that area up. Then things around helping uh, the, the elements of uh, the parts of our body that help produce speech. So right. it's sticking your tongue out, putting it back in, doing all that, that sort of thing, uh, rolling it around inside your, your mouth, opening your mouth and closing it, you know, mm. uh, make, just making weird faces. <laughs> That can be really, and what happens is it all starts to tingle and come alive, and then that helps with your diction because you're mm, a bit more, mm. um, it, it's got more agility, I suppose. And then the, a bit of, yeah, like just singing. So I do scales because I'm just used to yeah, that. Yeah. Sometimes I sing songs, but even just singing along to the radio, as long as oh, it's okay, not hard, yeah, yeah. hard stuff, uh, you know, that's going to really damage your voice, mm. then a bit of, bit of singing or, or humming is good. Uh, and then and actually, I, I worked with a guy, we used to co-deliver some training, and he would always start the morning, and I noticed that he would start the morning and say, you know, welcome everybody, say, <coughs> good morning everybody, <coughs> and thanks for coming along today. <coughs> now I'm exaggerating a little bit here. <laughs> but he didn't realise he was doing it, and so we had a chat about it, and he uh, he, we just talked about him maybe just singing along with the radio to, mm, to start mm. with and I, my goodness the, the next time I worked with him once he'd started implementing this it was like night and day the difference really? in, the, in yeah. how he started and what not only was it was it richer and freer and more expressive and mm. powerful right from the beginning of the day but in fact by doing a vocal warm up his, vo- his voice was uh, stronger right throughout the day Right. Okay. So, yeah. I mean, it's like any anything else. If we don't warm it up, if we, if you were to to go and run a run a race and you hadn't warmed up, yeah. you'd yeah. do some damage, or you sure, know, wouldn't yeah. you wouldn't be performing at your best. Mm. And your voice is just another mm-hmm. muscle that you need to right. look after. So, yeah, bit of bit of singing along with the radio is, is right. a good thing. Sure. Um, say you've got a client that is all over this, they've kind of got their structure right, they're pretty confident and they're doing all the, they're making weird faces before they start speaking and <laughs> yeah. stuff. Um, any additional things that you can do to get a really strong co- competitive advantage in a, in a pitch type scenario? Additional things uh, on top of, on top of uh, all preparation this stuff. and practice. Yeah. <laughs> um, believe in yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be the key, I think, is just really 
connect with that that belief that you're there to to share and it's remember it's not about you we've said yes. that before yeah. but actually just yeah um being being open to connecting and having mm. that conversation and then let it all go you know relax is really probably <laughs> probably the, the best way um and be yourself because this is another thing that I find is people try and be someone that they're not and you just can't. It comes across as inauthentic and we, we need authenticity in, in, in what we do. So really important to, to develop your own style and that happens over time. It, it's not something always that, that you know people experience. But one yeah. of the things is uh, about public speaking is that you cannot get better at it without doing it. Right. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I would always recommend to people too is at the end of it, think about well, what went well. Yes. What didn't go so well? What yeah. would I do differently next time? Mm-hmm. And just each time try and add in something new that's going to going to take it to the next level. Mm-hmm. One of the keys is is to film yourself as well because you don't know how you're right. going across. Okay. Yeah. So if you want the edge, that's probably mm-hmm. the best way to, to get it is to to film yourself and review the footage. Yes. And I know, you know, professional speakers and, and, and speakers who are speaking in competitions and want to get better, they will analyse every mm, single second mm. of footage, look at what their body's doing, look at where they're positioned on the stage, mm-hmm. look at uh, what uh, what their their voice is doing and how they've uh, phrased a certain, a certain um, point. And just keep analysing. And people yeah. cringe when you say film yourself and watch your back. But it's the most valuable learning tool. Mm. It's, it's the way that you will improve because you see things that you wouldn't realize that you're doing. And when I film people in, in the masterclasses that I run and workshops, they, they tend to you, you see one, of, one, one extreme or the other sometimes. You, you'll see people and they'll go, oh, actually I was, came across better than I thought I was, mm. which is always lovely. Some people will look at it and go, oh, I thought I was really giving it a lot, but I look really flat. Right. And so yeah. when you're in front of an audience, and, and the bigger the audience, the more energy you need to bring to that mm. to really connect. And so filming yourself can really give you uh, an idea about how that's coming across. And the other thing is you pick up little habits that you might have. Mm-hmm. One girl that I was working with had a, had a habitual way of every time she was was re, was in, uh, reinforcing a point or, or emphasizing a point, she had had this habit. She held her hands like this, and I know it's been recorded. You won't have the visual right visual underneath guide. her boobs. <laughs> so, but it was kind of like she was like making making a joke about about her chest. It was kind of weird. It just uh, and it was very distracting. So we just simply, you know, by, I could tell her that hmm. until she saw what she was doing and went, oh, I see. (laughs) Then we were able to look at, she was realizing, okay, so if I just move my hands and and open them a bit more, Mm. then I can still use that gesture, but it's not as distracting. So filming yourself is is key to to improving. Um, And so how's how's business? Are you in demand, working with lots of interesting people? I am. And I do know, it's up and down for me because it's really, as all businesses are. So what happens is I tend to, when I'm really busy with training and uh, delivering masterclasses or speaking at events and that sort of thing, the the one-to-one coaching seems to, to be less. But then when there's less of the events, the one-to-one coaching is, is full on. So, and it's interesting, as I, 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 most people who know me know this, I'm not particularly strategic with business. Mm. So 
I'm I'm one of those rely on the universe people so I just trust so when I'm super busy with things and I'm totally overwhelmed generally something will happen and someone says do you mind if I postpone that workshop next week (laughs) I'm like Oh, okay. <laughs> so suddenly I'm like, yes, thank you. And finally, mm-hmm. I know you're fond of tongue twisters. Mm-hmm. I think we should finish with one. I'd like you to do one, and then I'll try and do it, but I'm rubbish at them. So we'll see what okay. <laughs> well, I'm not, I'm not great at all of them. I'm only good when I've practised them. So shall we do one? Let's think about... Okay, so this one was the first one that I actually... I started filming them and, and putting them out on little videos, and this was the first one that I did. It's, I want a proper cup of coffee... In a proper copper coffee pot. I want a proper cup of coffee in a proper copper coffee pot. Yay, yes, you did it. Very slow. So repeat it three times. Yeah. (laughs) And then say, if I can't have a proper cup of coffee in a proper copper coffee pot, I'll have a cup of tea. Just showing off now. That was really fast. I'll, I'll spare the, the listeners the rest of that. But Mel, thanks very much. It's been really interesting and incredibly useful for people who are concerned about uh, having to do pitches and presentations. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, that was very timely. I've got to do a talk tomorrow at an event and uh, I'm going to be doing plenty of that warming up, that ho 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 stuff and getting those butterflies flying in formation. Also, if you're wondering how somebody with a, a Essex accent interviewing somebody who is Australian, qualifies as a Scottish Business Network podcast. Well, the SBN is a broad church and welcomes anybody who has a genuine Scottish uh, connection and a business interest, whether you were born here, whether you you work here now. Um, I was actually born in Scotland and have lived the vast majority of my life here, but uh, I went to school Uh, on the Essex-Hertfordshire border and found it very sensible to drop my young Fife accent and blend in with the locals. Hope you enjoyed the episode and we'll be back again in a couple of weeks. Bye-bye. To find out more about the Scottish Business Network, simply visit sbn.scot.